The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, Episode 72. Captain DeBridge, Spock here. Make yourself. Surrender is not an option. Attention crew of the Enterprise, this is James Kirk. We are all explorers, driven to know what's over the horizon, what's beyond our own shores. We would have helped you get home if you had asked. That's who Starfleet is. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing the original series episode, The Naked Time. Uh, Joining me today on the panel is Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy. I am so glad we're not discussing The Naked Now again. (laughs) Yes, this is The Naked Time, which is a little, uh, which is a much better episode. A lot better. (laughs) Yes. Uh, You may notice that uh, Father Corey's not here with us. He's he's had to... uh, to, to, he's got some other duties that have called him away, so we, we he couldn't be with us. Uh, hopefully that we'll get that all settled out, and we'll have uh, much more Father Corey, which we we're all better off when we have more Father Corey. Yeah. So, uh, but before we get into things, I do want to uh, remind you that if you have not yet done so, please share the podcast with your friends. That helps us grow our community of listeners, and a larger community of listeners uh, means better content for you. Uh, the the more of you there are. It, there's a symbiosis that goes on where the more yeah. of, more of you that are listening, the better it is for us as we produce these shows. So we really do appreciate it. And not even if you haven't already done so. Even if you have already done so, <laughs> share it again. <laughs> Please continue to share it until all of your friends <laughs> have subscribed to The Secrets of Star Trek. We, we, we really do appreciate it. So uh, the, today, like I said, we're discussing the original series episode, The Naked Time. Uh, this is uh, another one of those first season episodes. We're sort of going in order. Like I have to kind of preface. We're going this. in production order. In production, it's a right. The way the the uh, the the first season aired originally is different from the way this is that they were produced. And there's there's several different ways you could do them. And we're just going to go straight through the production order and just and and be that way. It doesn't really matter too much um, in the long run which way we do it. But we just had to arbitrarily pick away. So this is the. Um, it was the seventh episode produced, so we're, we're 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 kind of on a roll here in Star Trek. The people, the the characters, the actors have settled into the characters, and and so we we get to we've had some good episodes, and we've come to this episode, which is a a good one that that kind of you know as we mentioned um, has an echo in the Naked Now in the Next Generation first season, which does this story in a much worse way, in a terrible way. Yes. Yeah. Uh, um, and we can talk as we go along about as we hit points of similarity and difference about how, why this is so much better. Right. I have a question, though. Why is this called The Naked Time? Because nobody gets naked in this show. Well, Sulu kind of gets, you know, half naked. He's shirtless. No, it's, it's, <laughs> it doesn't count. And yeah. he, and nobody gets naked. We even, the only, I mean, there's a reference to someone taking a shower, but that's what they're full clothes on which is what makes it weird i i'm gonna guess there's also a mannequin that they try to attend to (laughs) yes 
but the mannequin is covered under like a big sheet and a and that's covered in ice and it's not even it's not clear that that person is meant to be naked either that so was, yeah. nobody is naked in this and i i suppose maybe it's a metaphorical naked is, yeah. yeah it's being used for to mean vulnerable yeah that, but they have they have their their outer shell stripped away uh and hmm. and their inner self oh, is exposed okay. and naked I, okay i think it's more metaphorical like that yeah, I can see outer selves stripped away. Maybe that could work. Um, so your naked, your inner self is naked to the world, right? Um, maybe, <laughs> but it's still not a really clear title. Yeah, I had wondered if it was like. So I remember reading in uh, Larry Niven once in his known space series in the future. Apparently, and this never comes across too much in the books because you're just reading. But apparently, nudism is common in the future. <laughs> And there's a moment where someone is really scared, and for the first time, they don't just feel nude, they feel naked. And that's a distinction that had never sunk in on them before. Oh, that's funny. That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, one thing about the this episode and The Naked Now, I do want to mention, that, uh, in relation to The Naked Now, I just finished reading the autobiography of Jean-Luc Picard, the the, the, uh-huh. the novel, which we're giving as a gift to uh, patrons at certain levels if they choose it. Uh, but I just finished it, and I note that the author of that did not include this the 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 events of the naked now in this in that story of Picard's biography. Where Picard didn't want to talk about that for some reason. Well, well and he talks. You know, he has his, Picard talk about all kinds of less than flattering and embarrassing moments and things having to do with you know his relationship with Beverly over the years. You would think it would have if if he was going to address it, it would totally would have fit in to address it. And he just totally leaves it out because hmm. I think everybody should excise that whole thing from their memories. It's uh, a mopey. Yes. And for people who may not be familiar with what a mopey is, it's a sometimes used term from comics where an incident happens that by universal unspoken consent, everyone who is a creator or a fan agrees to pretend never happened. Yes. This is after they retconned the Silver Age Flash's origin so that. He wasn't just doused with chemicals when a lightning bolt struck his uh, his lab equipment in police headquarters to give him super speed powers. Instead, the lightning bolt was caused by Mopey, one of the seven heavenly helpers, who's kind of a heavenly sprite that uh, <laughs> intervened to cause the Flash's origin. And that was so horrible that uh, it never happened. <laughs> Everyone agreed. No, no. All right, so back to the naked time, uh, which I think we agree is a is is a a good episode. I I enjoy it. Yeah. Um. There's some awkward it, moments. It, there there's some spots that are not as good, but mm-hmm. yeah. Overall, uh, we we have uh the Enterprise orbiting this planet, Psi two thousand, which is a weird name for a planet. Yeah. I mean, are there are a thousand and nine hundred ninety nine other planets in the Psi solar system? No, <laughs> it's a, it is kind of a weird. Uh, the but it's a there's it's a ancient world that had an ancient civilization that's long dead on it, um, and the world is being ripped apart for some reason. It's never quite yeah, clear. Yeah, they just it's old age. Planets rip apart apparently. Yeah, uh, compress and rip apart. Uh, this, yeah, and lose mass without <laughs> ejecting matter. I, I How about just, that? I was just gonna say that. Uh, like that's 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 in my notes. Like this whole like it's lose it's it's changing in mass. Why? <laughs> Where, yeah. <laughs> where's the mass going? Uh, does it, anybody not concerned with this? Uh, yeah. 
So there was but a- their their mission is here to pick up a science party of about I guess six people off the planet and mm-hmm. then watch the fireworks. Yes. Uh, but they find that the survey team is dead and frozen like so many fish sticks. Um, yeah. And Spock, uh, his doubt, is on the surface with another guy uh, named Termalin, uh, which is a very mm-hmm. odd uh, name. Uh, I'm not sure where that comes unusual from. Unusual name. I'm not sure what the ethnicity of that is. Yeah. and uh, I like their hazmat suits, though. Yeah. It some... looks like they like totally got some shower curtains and cut them up. <laughs> some thought went into this. Uh, Spock finds a dead frozen mannequin, as we mentioned. Yep. Tries, I mean, this, this is as it, clear. Is dead, dead strangled frozen mannequin. Yeah. This is as clear of a mannequin, not a person. I mean, this is like the worst special effect, even for the 1960s. It is clearly, I think someone went to some effort to make sure that, hey, kids, it's not a real person. You know what I mean? Uh, we, we, didn't, yeah. we don't show dead bodies uh, in, in 1960s TV. Uh, he uses a scanning device that's not a tricorder, even though they have tricorders. He's scanning with this other thing. I, just, I thought that mm-hmm. was interesting. Uh, Looks like a scanner gun. Yeah, well, it was, I think it was that radiation tool that they used in The Enemy Within a couple episodes ago. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we do get the, the line that becomes so very important for the naked now. Uh, one man was taking a shower fully clothed. So yeah. Uh, then, as they're look, the the only other body we see, by the way, is other than the woman mannequin who's been strangled. Yeah, is um, there's a guy also in a hazmat suit, but he's covered in in freezer frost. Yeah, sitting at a control table, and it's really creepy to just see this guy there yeah. covered in freezer frost. I mean, we can't see his face or anything or his hair or anything because he's in this hazmat suit. Mm-hmm. But seeing this guy in a hazmat suit covered in freezer frost just sitting there is pretty creepy. Yes. Um, now, Tormelin is like the worst safety guy ever. Like, <laughs> like they're in hazmat suits for a reason. <clears throat> but he gets an itchy nose, so he takes his glove off and yep. holds it against a presumably frozen surface so that you got like like frostbite never mind anything else, and then gets infected. Like, why are you wearing the hazmat suit? By slow motion goo. Yes, yes. Like, why are you wearing the hazmat suit at all if you're going to take the glove off and then, you know, touch stuff? Like, come on. Yeah. I do sympathize, though. I mean, my nose itches when I, and my face itches when I'm in the dentist chair and I can't scratch. Yes. It's like something about the situation where you can't scratch makes you want to scratch. Yes. And, um. Well, he could have put the glove back on after scratching his nose. Like, it's just like. I know. I know. (laughs) Yeah, he doesn't. And then Spot comes in and, and for no apparent reason just announces, we must not infect ourselves. Yes. (laughs) Oh, that's a good point. I, I, I yeah. should have thought of that. Uh, then he, it's not like Spock even notices this guy's just violated <laughs> safety procedure. He just right. comes in and helpful safety reminder: we must not infect ourselves. <laughs> yes. Well, that's what the hazmat suits are for, presumably. Uh, but maybe Tormlin's particularly dumb, and he has to remind him of this. Uh, so he then he call, Spock calls the Enterprise and tells them it's like nothing we've dealt with before. Dun, dun, dun. Like, uh, yeah, that's like every week, right? <laughs> this is what we're doing out here, dealing with things we've never seen before. Uh, to boldly go where no one has gone before, to deal with things no one has ever <laughs> dealt with before. Exactly. Uh, they they beam up. Uh, there's no biofilters yet, apparently. Uh, they have to have a separate quarantine decontamination procedure. Yeah, I like that. And then they order them to uh, sickbay for um, for additional tests. And this is very 1960s um, because we were just as a couple years before we went to the moon, 
And there were real concerns about could we bring something, you know, an Andromeda strain or something back from space. Right. And they really did put the astronauts in isolation, you know, and decontaminate them and stuff like that. And it was like an extended isolation to give them a chance to get sick if they're going to get sick. And so I liked the attention to detail. Now, later, Star Trek would incorporate biofilters into the transporter, and we could headcanon that and say they have those here. They're just doing an extra thorough scrub. But at least they're not rubbing gel on each other. I was going to say, it actually makes a progression. I mean, early days, they don't have these this quarantine ray or whatever it is they're subjecting them to this field, so they have to do something a little more uh, old-fashioned with a gel or whatever. And so they do that in Enterprise, and so in the original series, they've managed they to avoid— way too much time showing mixed-sex people <laughs> rubbing gel on each yes. other, just I, saying. I think for, like, HR going in, you know, like, we really have to kind of have come up with a different method of decontaminating people, because I really don't want to see Spock rubbing gel on Tormalin, that's for sure. <laughs> so uh, Spock says, to, uh, says that it could be some form of space madness we've never heard of, what is Some it? form, yeah. But also space madness, as opposed to the regular kind of madness. <laughs> I well, I mean, I know it's cheesy, but there it, it's the sixties. It's the sixties. <laughs> it's also it does. Dist- I mean, he means madness induced by some for some reason by being in space away from your home environment. Right. I I find it. Uh, 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 amusing in kind of the same way I find when I read the Sherlock Holmes stories, Dr. Watson will occasionally diagnose people as having brain fever. <laughs> and and they talk about it like this is a serious problem in the 19th century. People apparently used to get brain fever. And like in the Naval Treaty, this guy has had brain fever for weeks, if I'm remembering it's that story rather than another one. Um, he's had brain fever for weeks and has been in in the single bedroom, not knowing the plans are under the floorboard. Okay. And I looked it up and, you know, like, is this just another word for a modern condition? Do we use another word for brain fever now? But apparently it was just really vague. And it was kind of like a panic attack, I guess. But it <laughs> went on for, could go on for weeks and you had to be confined. And so I guess space madness is kind of like brain fever. It's one of those vague yeah. psychological medical conditions. It covers that a lot. Happens of in other centuries, but not ours. <laughs> cool. Well, we're not in space, really. Uh, so we find that the Enterprise has to maintain a, a tricky close orbit for their observations. Uh, so when things go wrong, the ship will be in danger. That's just a, you know they can't yeah. just be in a regular orbit. The planet will, as I said, undergo sudden changes in mass because you know reasons. It, it's apparently going somewhere. Yeah. By the way, in, in the med bay, uh, we get some nice little detail. Uh, as uh, McCoy is examining Spock, he says, your pulse is 242 and your bl- blood pressure is practically non-existent. <laughs> and that's apparently normal for a Vulcan. Yeah. And uh, no, for reference, a good human heart rate is 70 beats per minute. So 242 is more than three times as fast. Yes. And you you might think if your heart's beating three times faster, it's going to jack up your blood pressure instead of making it non-existent. No. Hmm. What happens is if your heart beats that fast, it doesn't have time to contract that much. And actually, you can have your blood pressure not skyrocket when your heart rate goes up. What's happen- What can happen is 
if your blood pressure is dropping, your heart will beat faster to try to get it up, but it may not be effective. So actually, fast heart rates can be can be correlated with remarkably low blood pre- or unexpectedly low blood pressures. Yeah. Uh, the the scanners in Sigma, by the way, apparently ca- calibrated for humans. Uh, other yeah. the other species don't count. And the and Spock says, uh, "As for my anatomy being different from yours, I'm delighted, Doctor." Yeah, <laughs> which is which is good. Also in sickbay, we get the first appearance of Nurse Christine Chapel. Is this, this her is first? Her fir- okay. Yeah, this is her first episode. So played by Major Barrett Roddenberry, who yep. formerly was number one in the pilot. Yep. And when the when the network demanded or the studio demanded that they not have number one in the main series. Majel Roddenberry was, or I guess she was Majel Barrett at the time, mm-hmm. was crushed. But Gene Roddenberry said, we'll find something for you, even though it won't be the same. And so this is what they found. They found Nurse Christine Chapel, And wow, does she come out of the gate with a roar <laughs> declaring her love for Mr. Spock by the end of the episode? <laughs> yes, it, it, it very heavy-handed there. Uh, and really sets the the tone for her character for the rest of the uh, series. Um and we also have in Bay the first hint that something's up with Tormelin. He starts to sound sort of uh, melancholy or ups- really upset by the people who are dead. Yeah. He also, we have this in the sound design for the this uh, show, we've got this itchy, scritchy sound noise. Right. And people are rubbing their hands like they're kind of itchy. It, there's something and there, yeah. I, yeah, I thought this was a very inf- effective way of, expressing the idea they're infected by something we can't really see. Yes. That that actually is really uh, was really well done. Then we uh g- go to well we have you know a bit of a, a a briefing with the captain who gets upset because all of these people are just telling him what they already know, you know, stuff he already knows. He's not telling him anything new, so they they kind of well, we just got to uh go move on because we got these observations to make in the in a rec room or a lunchroom. Tormlin's in there getting his lunch, and Sulu and Riley come in, talking about fencing. And Sulu, of course, is the helmsman, and Riley is the navigator. And I guess that my understanding is that Riley was supposed to be a bigger, ongoing character. Yeah, yeah. Essentially, but... what Chekhov would be in the, uh, the second and third season. Right. Um, I'm not sure what happened to him. Whether there was a negative reaction to him in this. Episode. I wonder why that would happen. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I don't think uh, I, like the whole thing of like outrage uh, about mistreatment and you know, but you know, as a uh, Irish stereotypes was a thing in the '60s. But gosh, uh, <laughs> right, Riley comes out of the gates on this one too. I, I found it annoying in the '70s. So <laughs> yes, it's just over overplayed. So uh, Tormelin has uh, this existential crisis about being out in space and why are we here? And uh, he wants to kill himself, and and he grabs a knife and. In the process of trying to stop him, Sulu and Riley both get infected, but Tormelin um, manages to fall on the on the butter knife and stab himself. Yeah. Uh, by by the way, in in this actually, the crisis he's having harks back to something he started to say in an earlier scene, and Kirk finished his sentence for him about we don't you know this idea we don't belong out here. So apparently, this is an ideology we're meant to understand. There are people in the Federation who are isolationists and believe we shouldn't be out among the stars. Right. And uh, Tormelin is now coming around to that viewpoint as he's under this infection. 
that he's maybe like kind of secretly felt this all along. He's been really uncomfortable with being out here, but he's been doing it anyway. And now his emotional self-censorship is, is falling away. Also, um, he, at one point in talking to Sulu, is snapping at him and says, you don't rank me. Now, Sulu's a lieutenant, and actually, Tormalin is the only person in Star Trek, the original series, to wear rank insignia for a lieutenant junior grade. So, yes, <laughs> Sulu does rank him, but <laughs> right. you could headcanon this as more, em- more emotional revelation he's got some resentment of sulu and got a chip on his shoulder about rank and or you're, hey, not, you're a yeah. lieutenant too you you know you're not in my chain of command or something like that uh, yeah yeah um so we have uh mccoy has to operate on um uh, uh tourmalin who's been stabbed um mm-hmm. and it's a simple wound and for for some reason tourmalin just he dies he just he won't yeah. he dies of this very simple wound and and McCoy says it's like he lost the will to live, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so well, he was, he did try to kill himself, so there was some indication of that. <laughs> right, right. Uh, back on the bridge, uh, you know, we have this. The, 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 we see the Sulu and uh, and Riley dealing with the the, the effects of the this planet being uh, all unpredictable, but they're getting distracted at their duties, and Sulu sneaks off to the gym to get in some fencing. <laughs> Yeah, Sulu invites O'Reilly down to the gym for a workout to take the edge off because right. they're nervous. And it's like, okay, you're deserting your post. Really? <laughs> yes. Nothing yes. unusual here. But By the way, a couple of notes um, I have uh, from before this. So we mentioned the planet is shrinking in mass without visibly ejecting anything. I mm-hmm. mean, maybe on the other side there are huge space geysers that are ejecting mass. <laughs> right. Um, Spock also tells us that Psi 2000 was very similar to Earth, but its sun went dark. So it's apparently very, very old if its sun is burned out, if it was similar to Earth. Um, Also, and this is something that I guess it kind of struck me before, but it struck me with a new force this time. When we come back from the commercial break, Kirk is doing a supplemental log entry. Mm Mm-hmm where he's telling us stuff to back, you know, to backfill the audience on what's going on. But these supplemental log entries, they frequently inject facts into the narrative retroactively. It's like unbeknownst to us at the time, this is what was really going on. Right. And it's like who has a record keeping system like that? <laughs> where you get to go back and add stuff, you know, later, or don't you just add the new information once you learn it? Right, right. <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't make sense that you would. Our orbit is tightening. Our need for efficiency is critical, but unknown to us. Well, then how are you saying yeah. this? <laughs> if it's unknown it's to apparently you. after the fact, right? But, but why do you go back? I mean, or just, for data <laughs> data integrity reasons, you don't want people re-editing their entries. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But the planet breakup is imminent for some reason. It's it's yes. shrinking. Um. So oh, Sulu see- and then yeah. So Sulu sneaks off, and it's like a little bit before Spock notices, we have no helmsman. <laughs> There's no one driving this bus. <laughs> and then uh, Riley is like all kind of sitting there. He's acting like a drunken Irishman, literally uh, like yep. a drunken Irishman. Uh, and then uh, what's he saying? Drunken, really obnoxious, ethnocentric Irishman. Yeah. Have no fear. O'Reilly is here. And then uh, report to sickbay, Mr. O'Reilly. And they just send him off. Like, yeah, I know. 
Well, they don't just send him off. They do send him off, but then Spock calls security right. and says he's on his way. Make sure he gets there. Except they don't, which uh, it seems to uh, Spock should well, have sent no, he someone does, with him. He does get, well, security doesn't show up, but he does get to sickbay. Right, but wanders um, off again. Maybe if he had like not checked in in a reasonable amount of time, they would have gone looking for him. Yeah, Riley. But I like yeah. I like Uhura takes over. Oh yes, the the uh, the nav station, and she's the first with Sulu and O'Reilly both AWOL in this episode, and with additional people getting sick because nobody is thinking to disinfect the workstations where these people keep getting sick. Um. Yeah. They uh they they have lots of different crew members being temp- assigned temporary duty to either be helmsman or navigator. They're constantly swapping it out in this episode. I love this degree of cross training. Yay, that's what you need for yeah. a good bridge crew. Everybody's cross trained on everybody else's stations. Well, that makes yeah, that would be make sense. The thing is, is disinfecting wouldn't work because it's not a an organism. You know, they don't even try. Right, right, right. I right. mean, we don't. Yeah, we don't. Basic safety procedures. Yes, you would wipe. <laughs> Get some uh, some uh, bleach Space wipes. Space wet wipes. <laughs> Space wet wipes. <laughs> so uh, Riley shows up in sick bay and looking for Joe, and it's very sad because Joe's dead. Che- uh, I, I, by says. the way, I like the way he comes into sick bay because he's you know reeling around the hall drunkenly, just kind of playfully touching stuff and yeah. staring at girls, and and then he when he comes to the sick bay doors, he leans forward and blows on them, <laughs> yes, they and open. they open. And that's such a great touch. I I don't I don't know if that came from the script or the actor, but it's a great little bit of business. And then at the end of this scene, when he leaves again, he like comes up to the doors again and like raises one hand and lowers the other as if he's <laughs> going to snap his fingers or something, and they open again. Yes, and it's just great little f- bits of physical business from uh, the actor. I I really like that. I also liked when he comes into sick bay. Uh, Nurse Chapel is there. And he says, where's Joe? Yes. In this kind of innocent, drunk, but innocent way. And then she starts to break it to him uh, that Joe is dead. And and this is Tormelin. Yeah. And, uh, and O'Reilly says, he died, didn't he? And it's the way he says it, it's, it's like a moving. Child. It's, yeah. it's like a child, but he's grasping this reality. He's not breaking up but he is sad about it and there's For this emotional texturing with where's joe yeah he died didn't he yeah. you know it it's i really like that that's really yeah. nice yeah what i really don't like is all the irish stuff <laughs> well i mean i have ancestors from ireland and folks this is not representative okay <laughs> should have been italian uh because italians would be yeah that's pretty much so, but uh, so he does this thing with Nurse Chapel. Oh, he died, didn't he? But then we switch, and he's like, "You have such lovely eyes, pretty lady." Like this, he's sort yeah. of like, "Oh, Riley, distracted again by the girls." And uh, he, and he and he touches her chin, and we hear the itchy noise, and so we know she's infected too now. And then he says, "Joe's mistake was he wasn't born an Irishman," which you know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> meanwhile, Sulu <laughs> brandishing his uh, foil, running around looking for Richelieu. A Chinese uh, Frenchman, yeah, yes, thinking he's one of the three musketeers, uh, shirtless. Uh, this this is one of those things. I I guess um, uh, a lot. It's one of those iconic. I I overuse yeah. that word, but iconic images from the original series of Sulu. Oh, they put it in the credits. They do. Yes. Uh, yeah. So we, we have uh, Sulu running around, um, 
there, there's nice, neat stuff in this too. I mean, so not only is he being this swashbuckler and Richelieu, beware. Yeah. Um, a reference to Cardinal Richelieu, who was a, a influential in French history. Yes. Um, he then has this moment where he's got a really neat little bit of business too, where he gets meditative for a second and he's feeling his foil and pricks his thumb and has to suck on it. Right. And that's a nice little bit of business. Well, because it, it lets us know that there's real danger from this foil. This is no practice foil. This is a real fencing foil. Yeah. He he also, but just the, the way he does it, too, yes. is just like, oh, he's got this little childlike quality where he accidentally pricks his thumb and has to suck it. Yes. Then when he meets these other two crewmen, he's threatening them with the foil, and he says, you either leave this bois bloodied or with my blood on your swords. And I hadn't known what a bois was. It's French. I I mean, it didn't click for me. I looked it up. It's the French word for a wood. Wood, yeah, forest. Which I guess makes sense since the title character, or not the title character, but the main character in A Streetcar Named Desire is Blanche Dubois, which is sometimes glossed as meaning white woods. Right. But I guess it would mean white of the woods. Yeah. 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 Uh, Yes. So he's he's quoting Three Musketeers. Yeah, I find it interesting that in 60s television, they expected you to know what a bois was, that you could get the cultural reference. Right. Or just assume it's a French word and, you know, sort of like uh, you would kind of have this idea that to understand the context of it, which which is just impressive. Similarly, Richelieu, you need to have some idea what he's talking about when he says that word. Right. Now, uh, Spock on the bridge with Kirk uh, realizes that what we're seeing is hidden personality traits being forced to the surface, and uh, and and it's uh, we have this suddenly. Um, uh, while they talk about this, you know, Riley fancies himself a descendant of Irish kings, and Sulu, who's at heart a swashbuckler out of the 18th century, and then suddenly the out ship- of your 18th century, <laughs> your 18th, as opposed to everyone else's. Uh, Spock, you're half human, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> yours too. So, Own it, dude. <laughs> exactly. Uh, the helm's not answering to control. Something's going on in the engine room. Um, and then while they're dealing with this crisis of the of the uh, controls are dead, uh, Sulu leaps under the bridge, uh, threatens Kirk with a sword, says, ah, Richelieu at last. <laughs> so Kirk is apparently Richelieu. <laughs> um, he, he grabs Uhura and, and says, I'll protect you, fair maiden. And we have this. This interesting line from from Uhura here. Sorry, neither. And I'm like, okay, I guess that she's not fair. She's, she's doesn't quite scan. Well, <laughs> is she saying? Oh, I see. She may be saying she's not fair in the sense of she's not blonde. Yeah, exactly. And or maybe she's not a maiden. Skinned. Is that what they're saying? Yeah, it's that would be a little sixties TMI. Yeah, that's a little of the sixties information there. Uh, free love era. <laughs> so. Uh, a little surprising given the uh, 60s TV, but um, Spock, uh, uh, well, Kirk has this moment where he touches, he discovers that the point of the foil is sharp. He touches it and jumps away. You know, if you mm-hmm. notice that part. As you do. As you do. And uh, he's put that thing away and uh, for honor, Queen in France. And then Uhura, I mean, sorry, uh, Spock does the neck Pinches pinch. Pinches him. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Kirk says, I'd like you to teach me that sometime. And Spock has this great line. Take D'Artagnan here to sick bay, which I the, yeah, I love that. And it also presupposes you know enough about the Three Musketeers to know that D'Artagnan was one of the Three Musketeers. Yes, but but the, that Spock would have sort of that quippy, you know, joking yeah. moment there yeah. is really good. 
is like real sarcasm from the Vulcan there. Okay. <laughs> so uh, then we have, so Kirk now can deal with what's going on in sick bay. Uh, Scotty, we need power. We're dead in two minutes. And 20 minutes. Yeah. yeah well, yes. Uh, but it's the, the typical Scotty, we need power or we're dead. Uh, yeah. And, uh, but it's not Scotty. It's Riley who calls himself Captain Kevin Thomas Riley of the Starship Enterprise. And he starts singing uh, Irish ballads. I'll take you home again, Kathleen. Uh, badly. Badly. <laughs> and repeatedly. <laughs> One more time. Please, God, yeah. no. <laughs> that, was, that was a great line, by the way, from, from Kirk. was just like, oh, please, no. Yep, there he goes again. It's And this is where the O'Reilly stuff really, I mean, it's been annoying up to now, but it's really yeah. annoying now. And it's really, I think, the Irish stuff that's the problem. It's not that he's acting drunk, and that's annoying. He does other things that are that are. We're meant to find this annoying but funny. Yeah. And I just find it annoying. There are other things he does that are annoying and funny, like where he decrees that uh, everybody is going to have double Extra. rations of ice cream. <laughs> yes. And there's going to be a dance tonight in the bowling alley. Which and I love that there's a, a bowling alley, you <laughs> know? There's a bowling alley on the on the Enterprise. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then then later when uh, Uhura does something that frustrates him, it's like, sorry, Uhura, no ice cream for you tonight. <laughs> it's like, oh, that's fine. Just cut out this Irish stuff. Oh, yeah. I, I, I kind of think it's funny, but... Um, mm. So Riley does seem somewhat obsessed with how the female crew members present themselves, uh, about their makeup and telling them not to wear too much and <laughs> and let let your hair flow freely around your shoulders. <laughs> yes, man. Can you man, imagine Janice, having... Janice Rand's going to have to unwind that braided <laughs> square braided beehive? No kidding. Uh, I can't. I I, I kind of like to have the headcanon of what happens to Riley, like in the weeks following this event on the oh. ship. <laughs> Tortured mercilessly. No kidding. Oh, that maybe he transfers All, off. <laughs> although, then this is really a plot hole. But later, when they find the cure, Sulu has no memory of what he did while he was drunk. Yeah. So if everybody who got infected, if that holds true across the rest of the crew, they wouldn't have a lot of memories of what happened exactly. I but guess. some of them didn't get infected, and so presumably would remember, <laughs> right? And would torture O'Reilly mercilessly. Well, Scotty, as a as a good Scotsman, would have tortured the poor Irishman about it. And Scotty wasn't infected. Um, Spock uh, tells Scotty that you know Scotty's trying to cut through and. Well, we if we maintain a safety factor, we have to you know we have to go cutting through this bulkhead slower. And Spock says, "Uh, the, we we can't afford it's a safety factor. Going to take a minute and a half longer than we have, so yes. we you can't afford a safety factor." I also like when they're beginning that sequence where Scotty's trying to get it into in, into engineering to get control again. Um, he's got a crewman there with him, and he tells him, "Get up to my office and get the plans." And it's like, that makes a lot of sense. Scotty is the chief engineer. He's going to have an office. Yes. We've never seen it, but he's got an office somewhere. Right. That isn't the main engineering. It's it's another another uh, place. Um, and so, uh, meanwhile, Chapel, who is now infected, Nurse Chapel, uh, Spock has shown up at sick bay, and she, you know, her inhibitions are gone, and she's apparently attracted to men she can't have, you know, the Spock, the, mm -hmm. the cold, emotionless uh, Vulcan, and talks about how... Uh, their the emotions of the crew must torture him, which is ironic, Ooh. given that her emotions are probably torturing him right now. <laughs> Ooh, I'm I'm gonna have to look in the Legion of Superheroes Star Trek crossover comic because Brainiac Five 
is a lot like Mr. Spock, but he has a thing for tall blonde women. So maybe oh. there's some hope for Nurse Chapel. Well, maybe, maybe. <laughs> yeah. So we we then have this thing of Spock wandering the halls crying. But before that, I wanted to talk about the scene with Christine Chapel. Oh, okay. Because so this is her first appearance. This is right out of the gate for her. We don't know anything about her, but she really establishes herself well here. And in this scene, there are several fascinating things. They're subtle, but they're fascinating. She says that people say that Vulcan men treat their women strangely, but you would never hurt me, would you? Right. And it's like implying that Vulcan men are somehow brutal right. to their women. Or emotionless and thus... They, that hurts. Yeah, I took it as more than emotionally cold. I mean, okay. I would think that would be a given. Um, <clears throat> but uh, but the it kind of fits with even though Ponfar is not yet canon. Yeah, it could kind of fit with the idea that Vulcan men basically lose control and become mindless animals. Uh, yeah, um, yeah. Also, we have this really the two of them now. She infects him in the course of this scene, and apparently. This is one thing that his Vulcan biology does not only does not give him protection from, but it even takes effect on him immediately. <laughs> right. Uh, he's actually, if anything, more vulnerable to this than the humans are because he doesn't have to do any itchy, scratchy hand things before he's affected. Well, we know that this polywater stuff uh, will affect androids, so Vulcans must totally be. Yeah. Well, <laughs> he, yeah. Um, in any event, we have this really tender, vulnerable, serious scene where she confesses, I'm in love with you, Mr. Spock. And she, she talks about how she accepts that she, know, she, she knows that he puts on this front for other people, but she also knows that he really does have these human feelings, and she accepts him just as he is. And imagine that from Spock's perspective. You've been told all your life you've got to keep up these defenses, you can't let people see this human side, and here's this woman saying she loves you, and she accepts you just as you are, and she knows you. That's going to really hit him emotionally, right. which it does. But look at the subtlety of the writing there. I mean, that's really, really well done. And you know what? It's so way better than the horrible, icky, creepy Tasha Data sex scene <laughs> in The Naked Now. Yes. And this is like, that's just ick. And this is vulnerable and sensitive and compassionate. And it is just far and above the desecration of the naked now. It Because in this one, they don't have to go there. I, I mean, maybe it's the 60s and they can't go there, but they don't have to go to the physical stuff. They can keep it at that emotional level, which what we have here is raw emotion between two people without the, 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 the rational mind getting in the way. And, mm -hmm. in, and in the naked now, they're like, hey, we can do whatever we want and we're going to go there. And it's like, no, you didn't need to. It would have been better otherwise. And in fact, the way they write it, it, data in retrospect about the, that scene, horrible scene, in later next gen is much mm -hmm. better. Yeah. Um, the, you know, it, in fact, they, like they've, they learn better. So I agree. I think this is very affecting. Yeah. So as, as Nurse Chapel has now delivered this emotionally devastating message to Spock that he yep. cannot deal with, he decides to get out of Dodge. He apologizes. He flees to the corridor. 
And in private, he starts to break down. Then he seems to recover. Then he breaks down again and he tears up. He recovers. He goes to his uh, goes to uh, briefing another room. room. Yeah. yeah, it was a briefing room. He starts sobbing. He starts yelling at himself about, I'm in control of my emotions. And he just is having a meltdown. And it's great. In fact, we almost didn't get this because this wasn't in the script. Um, it was supposed to be just a like a sight gag of a crewman painting a mustache on Spock and him letting him do that. But Nimoy himself said, no, Spock has to have more here, uh, a scene that preserves his dignity, uh, but but yet explores this deeper, who Spock is and what mm-hmm. torture he is under. Uh, he wrote, wrote about in his autobiography, I Am Spock, uh, and he talks about how the scriptwriter what wasn't interested, but it was Roddenberry who said, no, no, I agree, we need more. And so uh, Nimoy describes it as it's about emotion versus logic, love versus mathematics, grief versus pi r squared. And based on that information, the writer, John Black, went back and wrote this scene as it now appears. So mm. it's very interesting. And they did it in a single take, and Nimoy nailed it in one take, mm-hmm. uh, which is pretty pretty amazing. Uh, really good, and also really way better than The Naked Now. The thing about right. The Naked Now is they're trying to play it for comedy, and here they're not. Yes. This is not comedy. I mean, there are comedic elements in it, but this is this is not a fundamentally comedic episode. This is a drama, and we're getting to see dramatic emotions really playing out, and not just Wesley being drunk playing with <laughs> chips on in engineering. Right. Wesley is the O'Reilly of Naked Now. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Both very annoying. <laughs> yeah. Also in this, we have, in, in part of this, we have, as part of the general disorientation, we find this crewman laughing hysterically at a paintbrush yes. that he's got in his hand that's got red paint on it. And then Kirk walks by him, and on the, on the, on the wall, we see the crewman has painted, and what he's laughing at hysterically is love mankind. Yes. And this is very 60s. You would see back in back then. You would see graffiti that would say things like "Love Mankind," you know. And so this is very of the period, right? But it's also like this guy's on a drug trip because he's laughing hysterically, right? And so it it has even more of that '60s vibe. And later on, presumably, he got into the turbo lift where he wrote on the doors. Uh, don't don't spoil it. Don't spoil it. <laughs> so we'll get. We to that. see another bit of graffiti later yeah. on. So Kirk finally gets uh, Riley out of the engine room because Spotty cuts Scotty. Cuts through the bulkhead, gets the door open, they run in. And Riley has a great line here, actually. No dance tonight. <laughs> as he's yeah. it off by Kirk. <laughs> Kirk kind of be, almost throws him out of the chair. Um, also, we, we've we got the engines. Uh, it turns out O'Reilly has, and I love the bit where they cut through the bulkhead. That's yeah, really nice. That is really good. Um, the uh, They also discover he's shut the engines off. Cold. So yeah. cold. They are cold. <clears throat> and even though it makes no sense to say you can't just mix matter and antimatter, well, yeah, you can. Um, you got to do it very carefully. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, they say we've got eight minutes until we crash into the planet, but it, it's going to require 30 minutes to restart the engine. And Scotty gets the line, I cannot I change, change the, the laws, laws of, of physics. physics. <laughs> <laughs> that, is, that is a great Scotty line. Uh, and of course and, they and, do, but, but, and, but never yeah, mind. And, yeah. and then we have a technobabble theory that's never been tried before involving a controlled implosion that maybe would work. Yes. Uh, and, but we need Spock to do the calculations. 
Um, and me at the same time, McCoy, who has been infected, Bob uh, discovers that um, what the source of the problem is: the water on that planet had been transformed into a complex chain of molecules that acts like alcohol in the bloodstream. So it's it's not a a, a biological infection, but it's a chemical problem. Where's the carbon coming from? And the, yeah, and this is supposed to explain why it got through the biofilters because it's just altered water. Yes, and there actually are different kinds. Of, uh, of like what? different kinds of ice. There's yep. a bunch of them. Um, or heavy water that they used in and, the uh, atomic bombs. Yeah, Isn't that the same well, thing? there's heavy water, but that involves a different, um, a different uh, isotope. Ice, uh, yeah, a different isotope of uh, of hydrogen. Oh, okay. Um, I'm what I'm wondering is if it acts like alcohol, where's the carbon coming from? Because yes. you alcohol is a carbohydrate. It's not just hy- It's not just hydrogen and oxygen. Hmm. But maybe it's borrowing some carbon from the body or something. Yeah, or yeah, maybe that's interesting. Uh, Kirk finds Spock uh, weeping uh, in in the corner and starts slapping him to snap him out of it. Oh, and we've we've got all this interesting dialogue there. He's he's like Spock is introspective, and it's like my mother. I could never tell her I loved her. Yes, uh, an Earth woman living on a planet where love emotion is bad taste. <laughs> and talking about his father and wanting to please his father. And then he says, and then Kirk slaps him and he keeps going. And he says, Jim, when I feel friendship for you, I'm ashamed. <laughs> and Kirk and, starts and, and Kirk slaps him again. And then, and, and, and finally, uh, Spock slaps Kirk. <laughs> <laughs> right. Sends him flying over the table. Uh, and, uh, Kirk, so Kirk is infected now. Um, and yep, he starts, as a result of all the slapping. Yeah, and he starts getting maudlin about how he doesn't have uh, any love, but the Enterprise and being captain prevents him from finding mm-hmm. love. She just takes. She's a very needy woman, apparently, the yes. Enterprise. Have you ever noticed that yeoman? <laughs> he says. Yeah. So there's Janice Rand again, <laughs> the object of Kirk's secret, uh, secret affections. Um, so now as Kirk is descending into uh, madness, Spock is recovered somehow. Yeah, and and so Spock and Scotty are, is like Scotty's. The plan seems to be Scotty's going to go to engineering. Spock is for some reason going to go to the bridge and call in. He's he's realized there's an experimental intermix formula that's never been tested involving a hypothetical rela- relationship between time and antimatter, <laughs> and they can maybe reuse this to start the engine. So he's going to go up to the bridge for some reason and call in the intermix formula from there. I don't know why. Maybe he needs the computer to run the calculations. Maybe he needs sure. to look up the formula. Maybe they don't have an internet connection in engineering <laughs> where they could do all that. Um, or maybe someone needs to be in control of the ship. And it may be the latter because Kirk says, Kirk is kind of hanging on and he says, I can just keep hanging on. I'll go up to the bridge. And this is really paint-by-numbers writing, because it's like, what this is meant to do is show us Kirk in this vulnerable situation, barely hanging on, being a hero, going up to the bridge, keeping it together in front of his crew, and giving the crucial orders at the crucial moments, even though the real order should be, go do this now. Right. If if we're eight minutes away from crashing. Right. You don't need any of this. And then then they compound the bad writing by having Kirk order that all of the corridors and the turbo lifts be cleared so he can walk to the bridge 
without anyone seeing him in case he breaks down emotionally along the way, because we right. all know a captain can never show emotion in front of his crew, which is just ridiculous paint-by-numbers 1960s writing. And Never let I, them I see don't you sweat. Like, what's that? Never yeah. let them see you sweat, which is something Pike says in something yeah. else we talk about. <laughs> yeah, but then immediately gives the game away. Yes. Um, so they have this ridiculous macho scene where Kirk is stumbling down the corridors, trying to keep it together with no one watching him. And he gets in the turbo lift and the door is shut and he looks around and here, something I like, the guy with the red paintbrush has written sinner repent, <laughs> which is another thing you would see back in the sixties in graffiti. Yeah. You would see religious elements like that. You know, you'd see Jesus saves, or Jesus lives, or sinner repent. Right, right. Uh, it, it it's very of its time. I, I like that in this scene with Kirk, we we uh, start to establish this idea the the relationship between Kirk and the Enterprise that it's more than just a, a command to him that he has this connection to it. You know, he says, "I'll n never lose you, never." It's you know, almost like this 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 uh emotional yeah not just like emotional in, in, unless they offer emotional. me an admiralty <laughs> right well which is a mistake he leaves he leaves her for a, a younger braid on his sleeve <laughs> yeah so um <laughs> meanwhile I, back in sickbay sulu screams yes and has just been cured and has no memory of what happened to him which seem to be effects that don't happen to anybody else when they get cured. They don't seem to instantly lose their memory or scream. Right. I think maybe Sulu's playing it, hopefully, hoping nobody calls him on it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember anything. So yeah. uh, so McCoy has the cure. He runs up to uh, the bridge with the hypospray. Kirk comes off, and, the, off the turbo lift. <laughs> and, and McCoy rips his sleeve off at the shoulder so he can give him yeah. the shot. Does everybody, this yeah, does everybody get their sleeve works, ripped? I know. It, <laughs> like, and this hypospray works through shirts. Yeah. Like, like, <laughs> so like everybody on the ship, their sleeves have been ripped off so that they can get this, this shot. Um, I see you got your shirt off. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this is, uh, but, but I do, I do want to note. So Kirk sort of has this, this gaze at Janice where he, he says, no beach to walk on. It was plaintive yeah. uh, re recollection. And Rand is like, what? And he's like, nothing. Yeah. <laughs> But it's the second episode where Kirk, in just a short period of time so far, seven episodes into the season production, where Kirk expresses this desire for Rand. You know, we, in Enemy Within, it was a, it was a bad uh, expression bad of that. Yeah, the bad Kirk, and um, it came out in in an, in an awful way. But it's well, this, the relationship that, they're building, and that was always meant to be the plan for Janice Rand that she was going to be. They were going to have this mutual chemistry. But they could never really be together because of their rank differences, and she's in his chain of command. Right, right. Um, yeah, like a, a captain and his yeoman would not be. Yeah. Uh, so they, and then that's why they wrote her out because she was crimping his style too much. They wanted him to be a space stallion. Yes, and so then we got all the green and purple women that he could uh, 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 go on dates with, shall we say? Yeah. Uh, so they have to. Um, uh, Take a hyperbolic they, course away from you know what they when they blast the antimatter with time particles or something. However, they they techno babble mm -hmm. it, and uh, the helmsman says direction, sir. It doesn't matter. Just the way we came, which is fortunate that Kirk said the way we came because uh, that if they'd gone in another direction and traveled through time, who knows what would have happened? 
But in this case, um, I, I think they're I think they're wasting time. I mean, these people know they're in an emergency situation. They shouldn't be waiting on anything. Right. Uh, you don't need. Cur- I mean, go do it. Right. Is all you need to say. Direction away from the planet. <laughs> yeah, away from the planet. You don't even need to ask. <laughs> yes. So uh, they they engage. Kirk says engage, which is uh, where we get that from uh, with with Picard. Engage, mm-hmm. and uh, they. Travel faster than is possible for normal space, Spock says, uh, and they end up traveling backwards in time, and we get the the, the chronometer going backwards on the bridge because the chronometer somehow knows that time's going backwards. And, and there are, there are also some errors with that chronometer. At one point, when they start going forward, an hour passes in a second. <laughs> uh, well, I saw, I so I watched this on Netflix, and I don't think mm-hmm. I think though that has new graphics for that. So I think mm-hmm. they fixed that in the new graphics. Okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, so the uh, they 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 went backwards three days in time, uh, and Spock says they can now go back in time to any planet or era, uh, but not back to side two thousand to undo what just happened. But uh, but that's, go rescue those people. Yes. Um, so time travel is now a thing in Star Trek as of this episode. And and, and Kirk says, and maybe someday we'll get up the gumption to do that. And yes. and they do in not too many episodes. They they before they establish just how risky time travel is, they actually have an episode that begins. We're on the twentieth century for a research mission, and it's like like it's a totally normal thing, <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> I don't I don't remember exactly which episode that that was, mm-hmm. but yeah, yeah, that like yeah, yeah, it's just normal for us to travel to the given that Enterprise uh, now obviously mm-hmm. you know and Discovery. Let's mention that as mm-hmm. well. Both see the problems with traveling through time. Uh, you'd think mm-hmm. that uh, Starfleet would have said, "Oh, there's good reasons not to travel through time. Let's not do that." But yeah, but I love in the upcoming episode they're actually like on a mission to go do historical research. Yes. Uh, let's see. Um, I'm trying to think of what that is. Oh, anyway. Um, yeah, I, I know which ones it's not, but I'm blanking on the title of which one it Tomorrow is. Tomorrow is yesterday. I think it is. Is that the mm-hmm. one with? Um, Gary Seven, I, th- I think it's the Gary Seven one. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's the, not not the one with the with the Air Force pilot return to tomorrow because they're in the past as an accident. Oh yeah, one. yeah, that one. Yeah, that's what that one is. Yeah, the Gary Seven is a different one. The one with Terry Gar. All right. Yeah. <clears throat> so we can... the um. So there's also this one line where Spock says, "We're 71 hours in the past. We have three days to relive." And Kirk is like, "Not those last three days." And <laughs> that line has always bugged me, even as a kid, because it's like. You've just changed history. Even if you relive three days, it's not going to be like the ones you just had. Right. You're not going to literally live that over again. You're not going to go yeah, to the Yeah, you're planet. not in a time loop. <clears throat> yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, well, I'll give him a break. He's been run through the mm-hmm. ringer. <laughs> yeah. Could just be joking at that moment, and it's a lame joke. Yeah. He does say, time warp. We're going backward in time, and I'm waiting for him to start singing the song. Yeah. We're in a time warp. It's just a jump to the left. <laughs> All right, so uh, we're, we're getting silly here, so let's let's wrap things up. Any last thoughts on this one, Jimmy? Nope, that's it. All right, so we do want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Trek, including Cody, David P., Christian D., Donald A., and Father Burke. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So that's it from us. What do you think of The Naked Time, this original series episode? Uh, 
uh, is it as good as we think? Uh, or maybe you like Naked Now better? Maybe, let us know by commenting on the and, show. And we'll contact the appropriate authorities. <laughs> there's someone for there's an episode for everyone, then someone for every episode. Uh, so uh, comment on the show at sqpn.com slash trek or our Facebook page at, at facebook.com slash starquestmedia or send us an email to trek at sqpn.com. Uh, we'll be back next time when we'll be discussing a very, this is a very special one, the Deep Space Nine uh, 20th anniversary documentary, What We Left Behind. We'll be talking about that. Uh, until then, uh, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for sharing with us the secrets of Star Trek. Thanks and live long and prosper. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Star Trek on Star Quest. And remember, love mankind, sinner repent. <laughs> <laughs>